A long time ago this guy called George Made a really funky flick and the world was floored Cause they'd never seen nothing like it before And that's how we got Star Wars Now 40 years on these fanboy bros With an awful lot of nerve to go and suppose that Through all this lore that either one knows Enough to have his own show But they do And here it is so let's get right down to biz This is Recorder 66 It's our first show I do think we should give a little orientation for the listener uh, This new podcast uh, It's the first time anyone's ever done a Star Wars podcast <laughs> It's never been done before so We, we are true originators We are pioneers of the Star Wars uh, nerd, I think Definitely, I don't think really that many people have heard of it yet. people well people definitely don't obsess over it and no. they're and they're definitely not protective of it no people are totally open to hearing anyone's thoughts on anything star wars related. and i think that's just proven by the last jedi it's easily been the star wars movie that's brought people together the most yes it was the kumbaya of star wars experiences everybody was in complete agreement that it was <laughs> <laughs> we are completely just oh yeah talking out of our asses at the moment no i actually i love the last jedi and i Me know too. you did too colin yeah uh but we obviously know that that is easily the most divisive star wars movie or star probably even star wars piece of right uh lore out there because any... most things are either polarizing in terms of it's amazing it's star wars it's classic star wars or it's the prequels or something that somebody hates because of something else to the point where star wars can even get a little bit circle jerky yeah. like where the prequels are objectively not excellent films no, certainly not as, not as compared... i love them but yeah well that's the thing they have elements that are so irredeemable that they've been redeemed. Well, that's absolutely it. And when you think about the prequels as an overall, and you think about what they've done to Star Wars, mm -hmm. anyone who thinks the prequels were a bad thing, in my opinion, doesn't really get Star Wars. Right. Now, the execution of the prequels is is very much suspect. I mean, there are a lot of things that the prequels should have done differently, uh, no doubt about it. But just like the background uh, that it gives to certain worlds. And I know we've talked about the way that how Naboo should have been Alderaan and things yes. like that. But even like Tatooine, this quintessential Star Wars planet that kind of we start off with in terms of terrestrially for A New Hope. Um, we didn't really know that much about Tatooine. We've never known much we, about Tatooine. Really? We really haven't. No. And the best glimpse we've ever gotten was from A Phantom Menace. And that's not even close. That's a, that's a really excellent, astute observation, in fact. There is actually culture on yeah. Tatooine in Phantom Menace, which just does not exist. As far as, racing? as far as we are concerned, in A New Hope, the only people who live on Tatooine are the Larzas, and the old, Jawas. old Ben Kenobi, and like the Jawas and the Tuscan Raiders. Well, like and there's, and there's uh, the Cantina and, and Tashi Station. Yeah, there's Anchorhead. You're yeah. right. Yeah. There's a lot of culture that you add to it. And then when you get to Return of the Jedi, you get the introduction of the huts mm -hmm. uh, to a larger extent and yep. really seeing the power that, Jawa ha that uh, Jabba has. Um, Which leads us to the very premise of this show. Yeah, exactly. Every Star Wars movie has its great moments. Every Star Wars, has, every Star Wars movie has its uh, like abominable moments and everything in between. So if you don't look at them as two-hour installments if you look at them in 20-minute installments how do they shake out does it work episodically and so week by week we're going to listen we're going to re-watch star wars for the umpteenth time oh, yeah. in 20-minute installments starting with the first 20 minutes of the original 1977 star wars a new hope episode four yeah and that's what we did today that's right and just to say one other thing about fandoms and uh and angry mobs we have like five or six listens on our episode zero on soundcloud and when i saw that i was like a little bit glad that there weren't a hundred listens <laughs> just because as soon as we get 10 comments six of them are going to be mean <laughs> has that occurred to you no it's true it's definitely true just because of the general nature in which people react to certain things that's right um people have hardcore opinions but i think we love star wars enough that uh, we're pretty open to anyone who else who loves Star Wars. And if you're passionate enough about your opinion, as long as you're not a dick about it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's great. And that, that really is. As long as you're not a dick about other people's opinions, have your own opinions on Star Wars, and I think that's great. Right. 
even the people who make up their own versions of what canon is. Uh, I personally don't agree with that at all. I think it's ridiculous, but go for it. Star oh. Wars is your own thing. Do you do you mean people who are saying like I don't even observe the Last Jedi as canon? Exactly. I think it's complete ridic- completely it's not ridiculous. Up to you. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's not up to you in terms of the overall arch. But if you want to view in your head like Plagueis is still canon uh, in terms of that entire novel, not the character. Right. Well, it's not a story the Jedi would tell you. Well, it isn't. This is a story the Jedi would tell you. Right. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, Maybe, you know, an old senator would tell you in a creepy as hell opera house. But <laughs> in a way, you really should have seen a suspect. I know. I mean, come on. <laughs> should have picked up on the red flags of, of Palpatine a long time ago. Yeah, like the dancing mitochondria that they were walking. <laughs> now, here's the other thing. Uh, Star Wars exists in the past, I don't mean like in in the universe of Star Wars. I mean like... A long time ago? No, I don't mean literally the story takes place a long time ago. I mean these movies came out in the past. They're done. Until new ones come out, Star Wars is always done. But we're going to do our best to keep Star Wars uh, fresh by week by week discussing whatever is in the news, pop culturally, Star Wars related, week by week. Exactly. And there's tons of great rabbit holes with Star Wars. I mean, you look at the fact that, yes, things may wrap up with episode nine. Yep. Skywalkers could come back, they may not, but we all know that Star Wars content is not stopping anytime soon. No. And that leaves us with a pretty a pretty endless catalog of things we can explore. Right. Whether that's a 22-minute episode of Rebels or The Clone Wars, which are conveniently the same amount of time as the chunks that we're viewing all of Star Wars in. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, exactly. We'll get there in one shape or form. Uh, maybe we should discuss John Favreau first of all. Yeah, I think that's appropriate when it comes to easily the most prominent piece of news going at the moment. Uh Already in the Disney family, interestingly, kind of responsible for kicking off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. He, I mean, not solely responsible. Uh, there are a lot of people who have made that what it is, but just as luck would have it, the movie he made turned into the biggest film franchise of all time, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so though he has experience in an enormous team, in an enormous universe, he will have had way more creative freedom making Iron Man's one and two than he will doing a TV series for Lucasfilm. Is that fair? I actually totally disagree really? in that regard. Um, I think he's the perfect person for his ability to adapt already existing content into new ideas. Uh, you look at what they've done with Tony Stark and Iron Man, and I think that's fantastic. And yes, they've taken him in new directions, but also traditional directions with a little bit of a twist here and there. Sure. I think that's what all of the MCU, you could say, is. I mean... Yeah. A lot of it is reused stories done in a slightly different way or updated in one way, shape, or form. Um, but that's kind of what's happening here. I mean, hes we don't necessarily know what timeline it's going to be, what part of the galaxy, which characters it's going to focus on. But it's interpreting an existing universe and pulling in the pieces of content that you find important to create a brand new story. Right. When you look at what he's done with uh, the Jungle Book and the Lion King coming up, uh, those are complete re like completely redoing something that existed i don't think there's going to be too much straying from the original story exactly so that's an instance where he's been i think he's very familiar with being handcuffed to an existing storyline okay i think the freedom that he'll have within an existing universe is what's really exciting for a guy like john favreau someone who understands star wars more than most people in hollywood is that right oh yeah yeah, no, John Favreau, he was uh, in the Clone Wars in terms of he did the voice of Pre Vizsla, uh, the leader of um, Death uh, Death Watch. Is that uh, like a reoccurring character or was that just like a that, novel experience? That was a, that was a big storyline in the Clone Wars. Okay. Uh, so it was a very prominent character in that regard, uh, mm-hmm. and which is always really nice to see. I don't know if you've heard of the Darksaber. Mm. Uh, the dark saber being the black lightsaber. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and not necessarily kind of your traditional cylindrical blade, but more of a... Uh, like a, a pirate uh, Schmeider blade, one of those Ooh, kind of flatter like a, ones. Like a scimitar? I don't know what that means, but... You know, like those like big curved... Uh... Yeah, kind of like that. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's definitely the most um, interesting of all the, the lightsaber no, variations okay. out there. Um, well, there's so many different, but in my opinion, the most interesting. Right. Uh, but Pre Vizsla, one of the character, the character that John Favreau voiced, uh, he uh, he wielded the dark saber at one point. So. You think he can follow rules? You think I he think can he stay can, in line? I think he can follow the rules, but will have enough understanding of the galaxy far, far away 
that he will know the right people to talk to. He'll be able to really kind of direct a storyline. Like he'll pick whatever kind of part of the Star Wars galaxy he wants to dive into, whether that's Old Republic, we don't know. Uh, but once he's kind of picked that, because I don't know, maybe maybe that was an agreed point thing right away, where maybe right from the get-go they know it's going to be something that's going to be set in the Old Republic, or maybe it's something that they know is going to be set between uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. Well, that would be a weird time frame, or Return it, of the Jedi and right. Force Awakens. Well, yeah. that is the time in which Luke becomes a Jedi Knight, but they're not going there. I really don't think they're going there. No. Uh, that would be very dangerous waters for anything that isn't a book. Do you have any preferences for the storyline, what they should focus on character-wise with this Favreau show? I don't want it to be Old Republic, personally. Okay. Uh, I think The Mandalorians, I think, would be really cool. Uh, and you can do that Old Republic style. Uh, this is like the Fets. Like, this is Boba Fett and the... Uh, no, so they weren't even traditional Mandalorians. They just used Mandalorian armor. I see. Um, but that same style in terms of it's an opportunity to maybe to to bring back the love that people had for Boba Fett because people really didn't love Boba Fett. They just loved his cool armor. You can bring back that armor in spades. Yeah. You can give it to hundreds of different Mandalorian soldiers uh, and then you can kind of satisfy that side of the market uh, in terms of being something somewhat familiar. Uh, they know that there's a Django Fett out there as well. So they've seen this done with not just Boba Fett's Mandalorian armor. Uh, so I think if they're going to go the, the Old Republic way, that's the way I want them to go. I want them to be a Mandalorian-focused Old Republic. Uh, I do think it could be pretty cool, though, to do something right before the prequels. Uh, or something that takes place actually during the prequels, but closer to a Phantom Menace, uh, and something that isn't taking place with the characters that we know, uh, maybe a fringe character that we know. Okay. Uh, but I think the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, that's a gap that has not been explored as much. We know way more between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith mm -hmm. than we do between a Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and yet... That's a much longer time period. Yeah. So it would be really interesting. I mean, we have the, all the great Clone Wars TV series and the content that exists between there. But I'd be interested to see something that happens after The Phantom Menace. Uh, between the worst two Star Wars movies, I want to see something awesome. Right. But Disney's been very reticent to deal with that mess. They're like, I know that there's, a, there's something stinky in my fridge and I just want to ignore it until it gets to like an absolute point where I have to deal with it. Maybe. Maybe that's the case, but I think if you don't bring in Anakin, then I think you're fine. I think that's the only thing that they're really avoiding. Okay. Uh, they've done Rebels, which is in between the two different uh, trilogies, the two, the prequel and the sequel. Sorry, the prequel and the original. Um, and then they've done enough book content that have been around the prequels era that I think that I don't think they're shying away from it too much, except they're definitely shying away from anything to do with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Yeah, uh, and I think that's the the part of the prequels that really they're afraid to touch, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think they need to. I, I think that yes, we obviously want a Kenobi movie, uh, but that's something else entirely. I think for the Favreau show, if if they went down this specific um, timeline, you don't need to touch Anakin or Obi Wan at right. all. You just make Anakin kind of a celebrity that's mentioned once or twice. Uh, just because he's Anakin Skywalker, and we all know that he's a celebrity in the in the galaxy at that also, time. Hot but, take: I want a Kenobi movie as much as anybody else. But if we never got one, we'd be fine because his story is contained. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's just something that's been teased enough that if you're going to explore characters like Han Solo, explore the ones that everybody wants more. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that. It isn't necessary for an Obi-Wan movie. Um, I'm into Rebels now. I actually haven't finished Rebels, but I'm uh, just watching it for the first go. Uh, so I am excited to see Obi-Wan come into Rebels because I know that's going to be happening at some point. Uh, and I'm hoping that that provides um, enough of a, of a way to satisfy until we get a potential Kenobi movie or if we don't ever get one. It's going to happen. I think it will at some point. I think there's a decent chance that it's maybe going to be shelved. Um, I think that it might be on the shelf and that we might be waiting five years potentially yeah. for one. Yeah. Uh, it could be something we were supposed to have an announcement of what the movie was so many different times right. uh, of what that next star Wars story was going to be. So who knows? We've keep getting all these great announcements about different channels that star Wars is going to be brought to us through, Ugh. uh, and all these different like directors who are getting their own series or, Oh, you get to write a star Wars movie. You get to write a star Wars TV show. 
Um, a little but, bit of backlash over the fact that it's all white men. Still, ooh. still nobody else hired to write or direct anything Star Wars related, but white men. And I think that's fair. It is purely on the basis of don't announce Favreau and International Women's Day. Oh, they did. I know it just made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Because yes, I'm not. I'm. I'm going to say it's. It's. You're picking specific directors based on different traits, and there's not been really anyone yet who's been like. Uh, oh, weird that's a, choice. That's a weird choice. Yes. Uh, they totally should have gone for, if you're going to take a, a chance like that, like, don't pick out another white guy. Like, all of them right. have made a lot of sense. Right. But it gets to a certain point where, okay, yeah, it can make a lot of sense and it can be logical, but you don't need to be stupid about when you're telling people it. And mm. you don't need to pick the worst possible day you possibly could. That's bad PR. It is, and yeah. this is going to provide a bunch of great opportunities, and they've mentioned this. Kathleen Kennedy really kind of honed in on the different opportunities this will present for uh, people to put their own spin on it because although it's a TV show, it'll make it plenty of different directors. That's true. Um, and that'll be really cool, but you can still provide an opportunity for, for an awesome female director to come in. And Greta Gerwig uh, should do a Star Wars movie. That would be a little interesting. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be out there for sure. Yeah, just a little bit. Padme in high school. <laughs> I don't want to see that at all. In the high school musical. I do not want to see that. <laughs> I do. Although if, um, if if there's any indication from some of the, the young Leia content out there that uh, if it's anything mother-like daughter, then maybe it would be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hamill got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame last week. Long overdue. Yeah, really long overdue. George Lucas was there. Harrison Ford was there. When thinking about today, I was really sorry that we don't have um, the other member of our trio here to celebrate with us. But I feel her presence. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. Uh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. And uh, Harrison Ford got a little choked up. Did he really? Uh, yeah. You Is didn't that see, like authentic? You... Yeah, I thought it was a little. Nice. Um, just a, a little lump in, the, in his throat. But uh, I think from what people have said, and even just from an interview, it's pretty hard to not think that she was the the likability and the glue between She's it all very so. special to everybody I yeah think. i think yeah. she was a real treat especially mark hamill talks about it all the time how much he adored her i so. adore mark hamill uh who doesn't he's, that man is wonderful he's such a sweetie isn't that so nice he's like so and i don't i don't begrudge harrison ford for wanting out it's not like he rejects star wars he's just like no nah, this is and it was good storytelling to kill off han solo when they did but um he's very different from mark hamill oh yeah and Mark Hamill, you gotta love how like he's just willing to show up for everything Star Wars forever, and mm -hmm. that's cool. And that's what's great to have him be rewarded. He had a career, a huge career after Star Wars, but not really in the same way. Mm. And I think the voice acting—I mean, I know he loves it—but ingraining yourself as Luke Skywalker and the Joker, I mean, he's really embraced the fact that. The fans of him are a very specific kind of person. It's yeah. an archetype. It's pure nerd culture. Yep. It's not necessarily going to be the the fanciest of awards. He's not going to be going up for Oscars. Uh, and he really embraced that. He didn't try and kind of turn a blind eye to it for years. He still embraced it throughout the prequel time when well, some people were embarrassed to be associated with Star Wars. I think it was he's he really deserves this resurgence that he's had. I think he happens to be a big fan of those things. Yeah. Like he's not just the actor for nerd culture. He happens to be a nerd. Oh yeah, definitely. Which works out really well. It's also kind of interesting that the main character, like guy number 1 in the most beloved film series of all time, the star of that movie is not a movie star. No, I know. That is really interesting. Not really. Yeah. You know, he, the, he's not. In the most conventional sense, he's not a movie star. The way Harrison Ford is definitely a movie star. Yeah, I think, I don't think anyone can argue with that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, he's like the essential movie star. John Williams is probably going to retire. I think we're still kind of waiting on confirmation. That's good. He's 86 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but he has said before he wasn't going to do any more. Like he said he was just going to do Force Awakens. Uh, yep. And yeah. then, so he, then he did Last Jedi, and he he did Solo. Uh, not all of Solo. So he did the specific Han Solo I theme. I see. Um, okay. And he didn't do Rogue One. Nope, nope. Um, I forget who did. It was... Um, Giacchino? Is that how yeah, you, how that's it exactly pronounced? it was. Yep. Uh, and, Which and was excellent. It was phenomenal. 
And, oh, that, it was and awesome. that's the other thing is like Lucasfilm owns this music. <laughs> it's not like when you uh, when you see Twin Sons, you're not going to hear that song in future Star Wars movies. But the guy doesn't owe anything to the world of film separate from Star Wars. No. I mean, he, he, it's all him. No, I mean, John Williams is incredible. And at 86, if he wants to retire from Star Wars, he can go ahead and retire. I, so. I mean, he's provided us enough incredible, incredible music. That... There's a part of me that thinks he only did anything on Solo because they're like, listen, we're going to pay you a lot of money to do one thing on Solo just to make it look good because there's this like really bad taste in everybody's mouth. Maybe, but I think also part of it is the fact that Han Solo's never had a theme. That's crazy. I know. It's super weird. Yeah. So why wouldn't he want to round things off? He should have a theme except for that. It's not going to, I'm not going to hear that song and feel like, oh, that's Han Solo. No, that is definitely true. You know? It's not going to have it. Now, if it had that sort of Han Solo theme to it and then you replayed it with in this new version with Alden, I mean, that would make a big difference. Yeah. I think that that would allow us to connect the two characters a little bit better. So music does stuff we can't even, we can't even know. No, exactly. And I think that's, and that goes back to what they've done with reusing uh, the music from the opera scene when Snoke was in uh, Force Awakens. Uh, just reusing these things, just trying to slightly plant these little ideas or um, little feelings. And so it is a shame that it wasn't something that has already existed and we've already associated with Harrison Ford. Even if it's a great song, even if it kind of somehow musically feels like Han Solo which is a weird concept, but he's a genius. So I, I, I think it's possible within uh, his genius, John Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if he's capable of achieving that, the Han Solo theme, whatever it's called, will forever have an asterisk next to it. This is the Han Solo theme, but it was never used for Harrison Ford. Yeah, exactly. Almost doesn't count, you know? Well, it's also interesting when you look at the themes, and I think I think a lot of people agree that Ray's theme is probably the best beautiful the best new creation from John Williams for the for the new sequel trilogy and it's interesting to hear him talk about Daisy Ridley and Ray mm. and how much he clearly it like is so in it he specifically has said that the only reason he did it again was he was like oh is Daisy Ridley gonna be in this one okay well I'll do this one again too then Oh, cool. Uh, so he's clearly got a favorite character that has... She's a muse for him. Yeah, that has kind of spun his reason to do uh, all of 789, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, so it's understandable. If she's not even sure she's going to come back to do a 10th one, if they did one, right. I mean, he'd be 100 years old probably. But So let's call it quits so we know that this is the last one. Like you said before, we don't know where the Skywalkers are going to go beyond episode 9. As long as John Williams is around for all those 9 movies, that's really all we can ask for. Exactly. It's more than we can ask for. Uh, just should say before we get into business, uh, Rebels is done, right? They're, yes. They've finished up. How do people feel about the way the series ended? Uh, I think because I've tried to avoid it as much as I could. I know I've stayed kind of tuned into a lot of spoilers for a while with Rebels. Yeah. But then it got to the point where I knew I was going to watch it. So I, st- I started avoiding spoilers as much as I could. Sure. But from what I've seen... Uh, it seems like a very positive response to the final um, kind of venture for Rebels. So that's that's cool to see. Okay. Uh, you always want to see things finish off in a good way. Clone Wars could not have finished off in a worse way uh, because it didn't finish. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> it just had this weird kind of trail-off ending. Clone Wars was also out of order, and the real ending of the whole series kind of came at the end of the fifth season. It was weird. So it was nice that this was wrapped up in a way that was chronologically like sound and just overall people were pleased with. Right. That's how things ended. Let's talk about how things began. All right. Well, my little friend, got something jammed in here real good. Were you on a star cruiser? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What's this? The interesting thing about the first 20 minutes of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope is that we are setting the scene for what is about to become, but is not yet the biggest thing ever seen on a film screen. Yep. It is just conceptual. It's just a neat little experiment for the first 20 minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. And it is riddled with, with weird shit. It's riddled with all kinds of stuff that is campy and bizarre and might just as well, in fact, very likely, wasn't going to work at all. Well, wasn't going to find an audience. The crawl. Yes. We can start off with just the concept of how they did that. 
Okay. Uh, they it was literally I forget, I forget whether it was um, like a poster or how it was done. Yeah. But it was just dragged under a piece of glass. It's kind of like on those a move, on a film screen, like those overhead projectors they use in schools. Yeah. I th- from what the kind of the behind the scenes shot I've seen of it actually being used yeah. and moved. But there is I mean there's special effects to it, but there is nothing computer generated obviously about that crawl. It's very tangible. I know. And then you just Google Star Wars crawl these days, and you can create your own. Yeah. Uh, with some random soundtrack that is totally not John Williams because they can't get the, right, <laughs> the rights to it. Um, but that must have yeah. been. been so strange for film goers who are like oh this this weird new sci-fi movie it's almost it almost looks like a b movie but you i gotta read to start yeah, it off i have to read a lot when i was a little kid it's so funny because the crawl is like three long sentences every yeah. crawl is three long sentences i know it's crazy and when i was a kid it was like reading a book to read the crawl well i never could finish it yeah so I was, was going too fast when i was a kid <laughs> the crawl wasn't anything Right. Because it was it was just, okay, I got to wait for this to be over. I wasn't reading it because I couldn't read it fast enough. Yeah. And so reading it more as an adult has been has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely found The Last Jedi's Crawl to be the most out of place crawl yet. It did, it definitely stood out. Yeah. It was it trying really rooting. hard to be like poetic and stuff. And the, the nice thing about The Crawl is it's very to the point. Yeah. It's bullet points, in fact. It's just like, you know what? Here's everything you need to know to understand this next scene. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. It's actually actually brilliant exposition because oh, so smart. the tricky thing about writing and a lot of people would tell you george lucas though a great story person though a great idea man hmm. is in no way a good writer it's a good, terrible dialogue writer yeah okay fair enough or human writer but the, <laughs> but the problem with dialogue is that you have to disguise your exposition in dialogue and it's very hard to do that it's called uh, your father the king you know oh yes 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 yeah so George Lucas would write Your Father the King. Yeah, and adding notice. context that is just lame for the pure purpose of adding context to the scenario. So the audience understands that yeah. your father is the king. But this crawl allows you to be completely uh, brazen about your exposition. Yeah. I'm not I'm not even going to try and hide this. Here's what you got to know. Read these three yeah. sentences. Yeah. It's and then, genius. And I know we're going back to the last... I keep, I keep going back to the last okay. Jedi. Uh, but it's really interesting what I like that they did there was... I was blown away with how... Yes, it was a bit of a weird crawl, but the fact that they were able to pull off a crawl when there was no time delay. Yeah. They were still able to make it seem like a Star Wars crawl, although it was a little off. There was no, like, two years later. And I know they never say that in a crawl. They sometimes will. Um, But that was kind of important. I thought that that was kind of interesting, the fact that they were still able to not make it seem like just a rehashing of The Force Awakens in three sentences to provide context to it. I thought that was kind of cool. So my biggest observation about the first 20 minutes of this Star Wars movie is how quickly things move. Oh my God, yes. Like it was like 11 minutes in and we're still on the Star Destroyer. Mm -hmm. And I guess not the Star Destroyer, but the the Leia ship. And I was like, we're going to be in Luke's workshop in 10 minutes? And we were. I know. I was really surprised. So I was watching it, and like you said, about 10 minutes in, I, I skipped ahead to see, okay, where are we going to be at the 21-minute mark or 22-minute yep. mark? Because um, that's where we got to 21.13 or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really – I was like, wow. I, I really remember the scene with the Jawas being way longer. Oh so I guess God. when I was a kid, I just found it really boring. And yeah. then it was like a 40-minute scene in my memory when it was like four minutes. Let's go over favorite quotes. The lines from this first 20 minutes, a few of which are obviously iconic because we're course. setting the scene. One is the definite correct answer, is the most important quote from the first 21 minutes of this movie. Yes. Wootini. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. That's definitely, of course, right? No, it's help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. I know, of course. <laughs> that is the most important line in the first 20 minutes of Star Wars. Uh, and that'll that'll be the name of this episode. That will definitely be the name of this episode. But there's we some got, other ones. You, you clearly stretched it to make sure that we would get in just to help me Obi-Wan Kenobi or my only hope. I wanted the first clip to end on a cliffhanger. That's and, fair. And, and that's how we wrapped it up. Uh, Luke's fidgeting around with R2 and he finally releases that that little truncated message from mm. from Leia and it says, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And he says, what's this? And yeah, then, we get the big whine from Luke. Exactly. And yes. that's one thing that's always Good. so interesting is to remember just how whiny Luke is. The, one of the most essential Luke wines is another quote I've written down as important quote. Yeah, no kidding. I was about to go into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Oh, what is... Um, 
you can waste time with your friends after you finish your chores. I think that's yeah. how Owen responds, <laughs> which is so hardcore. It's just a callous way to get back. And it's true. <laughs> but I like Uncle Owen. He's just a hard-nosed dude. Yep. Um, and actually, that's actually it's pretty interesting because the Kenobi movie, uh, when that's been in discussions, uh, young uh, Owen, played by Joel Edgerton, um, he's said that he wants to come back and that he thinks Owen Lars is someone you underestimate, that he's had some some adventures in his day totally. and that he's just doesn't really he's tired of the old shit from the crazy old wizard but <laughs> that he's done some cool things and clearly clearly his father Cleeg did Cleeg yeah. went and uh he went after the the tuscan raiders and lost a leg in the process trying to save his wife so yeah. uh they have a cool family past despite their you know in his insane, absolutely insane stepbrother. It's also just storytelling 101. No old man gets so cranky without having had a lot of life experience. Exactly. And so you're right. There's a lot unexplored about about Owen Lars. I don't know if we can say the same about Baru. She's pretty simple. She seems pretty boring, yeah. <laughs> Luke! <laughs> That's pretty good Baru. Yeah. What other I've, I've been working have? on my Aunt Baru impression. <laughs> <laughs> For the next SNL round of auditions. Well, let's face it. That's the only reason I'm yes. going to get on. Every sketch show needs a Baru Lars. Is that her name? Baru Lars? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Okay, what other quotes do you have? Because there's some good ones. Uh, I have Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. Oh, yeah, I've got that one, too. Classic, classic. I've also got a Vader quote that's not iconic, but I did love it. Uh, Tear the ship apart until you found those plans. Uh, Bring me the passengers. I want them alive. Mm. I want them alive is pretty impactful. Yeah, well, it's he, he screams it. Yeah, he does. Uh, and I love the fact that specifically the people that he's looking for aren't alive. <laughs> yeah, that's And right. that's the only reason they got away. <laughs> well, exactly. There's no life forms aboard. <laughs> no organic life forms. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I really understood all that as a kid. Well, one thing I noticed that was kind of interesting about it was they said, there goes another one. Yeah. And I didn't really understand why. Because then later they say, one of the escape pods left, but there was no life forms aboard it. Uh, as if nothing to fear. But then they said, there goes another one. So are they just losing escape pods left, right, and center? <laughs> and they're, they're only pods. telling Vader about the ones that don't have life forms on them? Yeah. So, like, apparently a bunch of rebels got free on one of them. But, like, <laughs> let's just keep that one under wraps. Let's not tell them. Not worried I don't want to get it. choked out by our boss. <laughs> Isn't it kind of interesting how feared uh, Anakin Skywalker is at the turn of his evil? That Leia almost just seems to know him. Like, it's almost like Vader is, like, not the most fearsome menace in all the galaxy, which he is, as we know from the final scenes of Rogue One. Hmm. Uh, but he's just, like, the Grinch, who, like, who like Leia's like, oh, it's you. You know what I mean? I think that just goes and plays into just how badass Princess Leia is. Fair enough. Because, like, Tarkin literally blows up her planet right in front of her. Yep. And she's still giving him lip right up until the end. And I know that wasn't in our first 21 minutes, but... We'll get to it soon. She, she's pretty badass and pretty brazen. Doesn't really care who she's talking to. And Darth Vader, he's not at the top. He's just the enforcer. He's just the big bully on the playground who's going around. Right, but you're and, supposed to be afraid of him. Oh, you're supposed to be terrified. Everyone else is. You're supposed is. to be absolutely terrified of him. Yeah. But she also at the same time knows that he's just a big bully. Yeah. And that's all he's going around is just taking people's lunch money mm-hmm. and, and, you know, slaughtering them. <laughs> but like, it, it's not he. It's not the same kind of fear that like if you put Princess Leia in a room with the Emperor, although that would never happen because he just Darth Vader was his face. Yeah, but that's a different story. And also, I th- I Vader think, would never hurt Leia. No, and that's like Palpatine would be happy to torture Leia on the floor. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because Vader can't get anything from Leia, right? Because if he could, he could just use a Jedi mind trick of sorts, but clearly he knows that's not going to work on her. So Right. Yeah, no, that's... It, it's interesting just the way that he has, a, uh, he has a level of respect for her, even though he still throws her in a prison cell. And I have one more quote. Yeah, sure. I have one more as well. Thank the maker. This oil bath is going to feel so good. I have a ridiculous 3PO quote as well. That's <laughs> my final one. <laughs> Go ahead. God, I have just the the we're doomed purely on the basis of... We're doomed is good. He's screaming we're doomed because the Jawas are going to sell them. Yeah. Like, t- sell them to what, 3PO? What are you expecting Would you to be rather sold? stay here with the Jawas? I, it didn't make any sense at all. It's just like, <laughs> oh, we're doomed. It's like, dude, this is your out. He doesn't scream it. He says it in like a very like defeated, despondent kind of way. Like, we're doomed. Yeah, I guess it's more of a of a pathetic whimper than a... 
yeah than a squeal but help me obi-wan kenobi or my only hope is of course a top five star wars line yeah so that's the one definitely what did not hold up so well what's the stuff that probably should have been brought back to the drawing board in this especially in these first 20 minutes there's a lot of stuff that they were just throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick uh, the big one for me is r5 Thank you. R5 is such a piece of shit. Who would yes. pick R5 over R2? R2 is glistening. Yep. R2 is a quality astromat. That yep. is, R5 is a piece of junk and it is obvious. Right. I have no idea why Owen purchased R5. It's a bucket of bolts. I actually kind of wanted to know, why does a moisture farm need... An a, astromat droid? <laughs> yeah, why does it need an R2 unit anyway? I have no idea. He makes it clear why he needs, not necessarily a protocol droid, but somebody that speaks the binary language mm -hmm. of... Uh, moisture units or whatever they're called. Yeah. Uh, why does he need a robot that's like it's a utility robot? I so guess I guess it has like it's like a Swiss Army knife. That's useful. Yeah. But he fixes spaceships. That's what he was built for. It may be a specialty, but I think we've seen enough of R two to see that he's essentially just a, a he's a mechanic Swiss Army knife. But R two is robot. special. Oh, yeah. and Lars doesn't know that. Yeah, he may not know that, but he, I think. It, I think the mechanic elements of it, the ability to, to fix small um, mechanical issues on the fly, I think that's because it has a fairly transferable use. Right. Uh, it's a terrible reason, probably. I mean, I'm sure you could spend a lot less money and get one that's not, you know, built for outer space and can work on your friggin' sand farm, your moisture farm in the middle yeah. of the desert. Uh, but yeah, no, R5 is a piece of junk. I couldn't help but notice, specifically with R2, when they're like in the wasteland, yeah. uh, that he was just gliding over sand, like sand, like he, like the sand was compact or something. Did you notice that? Like he was like coasting over dunes, like dunes aren't soft. I yeah. found that very strange. And R2 would weigh a lot. He would be so heavy. Yeah, R2's not small. Unless he had some kind of like levitation. Well, R2 has jet on. boots, so... Yeah. I mean, we don't see them in that particular instance. I think this is a purely a matter of being 1977. There was no drift, that's yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's okay to leave that one to, uh, to the time of We're, the movie. We already mentioned one thing that has to go back to the drawing board is Luke's whininess. And yes. that, that kind of speaks to the greater dialogue issue in every script George Lucas has written. Yep. Uncle Owen! Yeah? This R2 unit has a bad motivator, look! He's, I never noticed as a kid how unheroic Luke was. No, at least not. until at least until he goes to Ben Kenobi, which is not very much time, but like at least once he sees there's nothing for me here, I want to take you to Anchorhead, uh, or take you to Alderaan, I guess. Um, yeah, he, he, then he starts to exhibit some heroic characteristics. Heroic, I wouldn't say. Um, yes, he's he's leaving to be part of uh, something bigger i'm luke skywalker i'm here to rescue you by the end of that movie he has definitely grown into a hero definitely but i would say his decision to leave the wasteland of tatooine uh because you know everyone in his family was burned alive yeah I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna call that heroic yet okay because the the wizard who can get you off the planet is offering you a ticket off i'm gonna take it especially okay. if my whole family was just murdered i would assume they were after me too there's some problem I have with Jawas, and I don't know what it is. I love the little guys. <laughs> Do you? Like, they're creepy as hell. If you've ever seen one without their hood on, really creepy. Oh, they're so they look like disgusting. bugs almost. Yeah. They're cool, I guess. They're like little robes are kind of cool. I don't know why they need this. Like it's like the size of a small shopping mall. This thing they drive around in. It's ridiculous. For like twelve of them. Worst Lego set ever. It really would have been the worst Lego set. Yeah. Yeah. Not worth the price. When 3PO sees them over the dunes and he starts hollering for help and he thinks he's been rescued, what he sees is just like a little flicker of a light. And he just assumes it's a transport. Yeah. He puts a lot together in that moment. Yeah, 3PO is, assumes a lot of shit. Yeah. There's something weird about like the... There's just something too robotic or puppety about the Jawas. I think they're puppets, right? I don't think so. I think they're children. Oh, they're kids. Yeah. Okay, because they're too slight, frankly, to be like, uh, like little people actors. Yeah, I no, I think the... I think they have to be children. There's no, I think they're too active. Wouldn't, wouldn't and that spry be known to be if they were if they were children? Wouldn't wouldn't that be like a thing people know of? Hmm. Maybe. Okay. I mean, maybe maybe it was um, little people. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was children. Maybe it was puppets. I don't really know to be honest, but I've always assumed it was children. 
What about everyone else? Not necessarily your Luke Skywalkers and your Vaders and your Leias, which I mean are three pretty important characters that you're introduced to pretty early on. The secondary tertiary characters who have been extremely affected by this initial kickoff of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go as deep as you want. Like we talked a little bit about Owen Lars. I mean, there's a guy who definitely has other layers to him. Mm. That's kind of interesting. I've never really picked up on that before. But um, like, what about that guy, that that rebel soldier in the opening shot with the big white eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the guy who very likely died in like a couple seconds later? Yeah, he might have. He probably did. He probably did. But he survived the big Rogue One uh, fury. Because he was on Leia's ship. Yeah. Good so, thing. Yeah. <laughs> what did he do to earn him a spot on that ship? <laughs> I don't think he's got that interesting of a life. I don't know. I think that I think everyone has a life, Ross. I think everyone has a backstory. Everyone is a hero. Is the, what is pl- the hero what of planet story. is he from? He's, he's probably from... Uh, I don't know some like mid-range planet. He's not. He's not from Naboo. He's not like aristocratic enough to be from Naboo. He's also not. Um, he's not nobody enough to be from like Jakku. Yeah, that's he's, a fair point. He's he's not urban enough to be from Coruscant. I don't know. Coruscant's got some levels to it. That's a Star Wars joke. That's a deep joke. That's a deep cut joke for people. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I know, but he kind of looks like a family man. Like he's kind of like from like Michigan. <laughs> Okay, well, let's go with Craig from Michigan. Yeah. Is, uh, he's at the front line for the rebel right. forces. And uh, he's going to take down some stormtroopers. He got his eyebrows from his grandfather. Yeah. The big thing for me that stood out as obscure characters who we don't think about how this scene has impacted them was the Jawas. Yeah. Think about that amazing idea you had for a business that then three years later you saw, oh, my God, <laughs> I could have been a multimillionaire. Yeah. Think of how much money the Empire would have paid for R2-D2. You're so right. And think of how much money that Owen Lars paid for the backup droid after R5 fucked up and just broke two seconds after he purchased You're it. You're right. The Jawas had two instances where they almost got to keep R2 there. Well, except I disagree because the, the stormtroopers show up and they kill all the Jawas. That's a scene. Yeah, but had they known what they had... I think they did think they had R2, and that's why they killed all the Jawas. Yeah, fair enough. Unless they thought they were hiding R2, and so they killed all the Jawas. They might have had a more diplomatic exchange if they had R2. Yeah, I would assume so, because R5 is a piece of shit, like we've established. He is a real piece of trash. And especially if you thought you were getting R2-D2, and you get R5. Yeah. I'm pissed. Two of my, uh, what about everyone else's, are also droids. Not R5. I want to know a little bit more about that protocol droid with the bug eyes. Oh, he's creepy. Yeah, he's like really creepy. Yeah. He kind of looks like 3PO, but he's got this weird head and these big bulbous eyes. He doesn't really say anything. He's like the Willem Dafoe of protocol droids. That's so accurate. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, What was he doing there? Like, how did that droid get to Tatooine? I mean, I guess if other... No, I was going to say because... Indeed. What do you mean? just went on like a job hiring website oh, I see. yes <laughs> zip recruiter yeah uh i was gonna say you know maybe some slave boy in the big city of tatooine built him but no that was unusual when that happened yes that was time. that was quite unusual <laughs> yeah. when when the little slave boy who worked for water the junk dealer and then the other droid we gotta mention is mcdonald's trash can droid Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> he is ridiculous looking. Yeah. He is just a McDonald's trash can. <laughs> I think probably was at the time. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned something. We talked about stuff that doesn't hold up too well. Uh, you mentioned something. Gonk off the, droid. Off the, what's his name? Gonk droid. I was pretty sure it was a gonk droid. I just wanted to double check. Gonk droid? Yeah, G-O-N-K. That's perfect. Yeah, I know. You mentioned one other thing that you think should have been brought back to the drawing board that you haven't mentioned live in the podcast yet. Uh, one of the things that definitely should have been brought back to the drawing board would be Darth Vader's helmet. Yeah. Because it is so poorly painted. Yeah, it's they, just they like clearly it's spray painted. It's almost matte finish. I don't even think they spray painted it. I think that they used like some sort of like paintbrush and like a <laughs> like lacquer. A Bob Ross brush? Oh, it, it looks so poorly done. Yeah, it does. And I don't know what it was constructed with, so maybe the materials, that wasn't really an option, yeah. but... It was. It's very poorly built compared to the Vader helmets that we see later on. And I know they tried to go with a similar sort of style for Rogue One mm-hmm. in making sure that that Vader suit looks similar to a New Hope Vader for obvious reasons. 
Um, you mean they just gave him a more matte finished mask? Yeah, and like the eyes were redder. Uh, they although they went, they went too red for Rogue One versus yeah, what did. was done in A New Hope. You can see through them. They're subtly, they're very subtly red. Yeah. Um, I remember when uh, Force Awakens was about to come out, I, I, I watched through all the movies. It's not the most recent time I watched through all the movies, but, but one of. Uh, and it had been a while since I'd been through them. And I really noticed watching A New Hope and Empire back to back how much scarier Vader is in Empire. Oh my God. He's much slimmer. Yep. They've really like bulked him down. Uh, they make him far more mobile. Sure. And there's lore that goes and dives into the fact that uh, Darth Vader's had several different suits, and he said he has different suits for different reasons and the different modifications that have been made to make him more agile, to make him more spry, uh, whereas some are more defensive-based and some are more attack format. It's just cleaner because the movie had more money. Well, that's exactly the real reason. Yeah. But the reason behind adding some logic as to why he slimmed down his armor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Star Wars has gone back and kind of cleaned that up, which is which is nice. It's nice that they kind of fill in these gaps with comics and and books here and there. So it's good. What was your moment? What was the mo- the moment in this in this first twenty minutes that like really stood out to you? It was like maybe not significant to everybody, but it's like a thing that's kind of special to you. I really kind of when this I was this is think- a broad broad question. Yeah, and there was a couple ones. I'd say the two big ones for me that stood out as moments that kind of bring me back to my childhood more so. I guess because this is the first Star Wars movie, and I assume the first one I saw, I don't even really remember. I've, I've always lived in a world where I've seen Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I probably saw Star Wars the first time when I was two. Yeah. Um, I am picturing myself uh, in our first home that we lived in uh, on Twilight Lane, uh, and I only lived there until I was when I was four, and yeah. I have a lot of memories that are Star Wars based from that house. There you go. So that's really the only thing. So I'm assuming I saw A New Hope first in that probably. regard. Uh, but the two things that really stood out to me were Luke's uh, Luke's toy ship. Uh, I had the same toy ship. Sure. Did we see that in this first twenty? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's playing with that, uh, and then you see it uh, just in the kind of like the garage on the side, uh, which I for the longest time never saw. Right. Uh, it was just I never clued into the fact. Oh, there's the there's the real version. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one was the argument between three PO and R two. I've just about had enough of you. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. And don't let me catch you following me, begging for help, because you won't get it. Uh, the big argument that they have when they land about which direction to go and how uh, they're arguing points. And 3PO has, he's kind of, he's arguing a losing point, but he doesn't know it. And he would have no reason for knowing it because. Why is R2 on some secret rebel mission and 3PO said his mind wipe? So he doesn't get it. So right. R2 has all the information. 3PO doesn't. 3PO is the taller figure. So as a child, I always just viewed that as a replication of arguments that you and I have had. As my older brother, you are the taller one. And because from my point of view, you're wrong. I was 3PO? Uh, you were 3PO, yeah. And I was R2 in that these situations. Sucks. But that scene has always stood out to me as such a great representation of the way you and I argued. That's so funny. Kids, cause... Because it was just such stupid arguments that were very childish and us marching off in different directions. That's so funny you say that because my moment that I wrote down was when R5 busts up and then 3PO vouches for R2 like a good big brother. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, take that guy. That's what I wrote. I I didn't even associate, but I was just like, that's a sweet moment. I've also always seen C-3PO as in C, Colin, R2, R, Ross. Oh, yeah. Uh, as a kid, uh, I definitely was more R2. You were more 3PO in terms of whether if, like, our parents purchased us, like, like a matching toy of something that was one got an R2 and one got a 3PO, 100% of the time I got R2 and you got 3PO. I guess. You mean, like, a shampoo bottle? That yeah, a... exactly what I'm sort of thinking. <laughs> like a bar of soap with an action figure on the inside so that encourages you to, like, ooh, take a bath. Yeah. Uh, this is, we were four and five, like, six. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Uh, but that's always the way I viewed it. So yeah, from thing, a very little kid, I always related to R2 and Yoda as the small characters of, yeah. the, of the series. And I was small, so it worked. That's kind of nice. Yeah. That's pretty nice. And I had the Han Solo action figure, so I guess I win. Uh, uh, I did too. Yeah, that's You true. had Winter Han. Yep. I had Classic Han. Right. You're right. That's true. The other thing that uh, I remember from my childhood is just being fascinated by the Igloo house that they live in like their house is just like oh really it's just an igloo i never i never really clued into that i know i had those little um what were they called like micro, micro, micro yeah, yeah yeah micro machines oh wow i totally forgot about those i had yeah. those of those homes but that was 
That was it. There's nothing like, there's nothing especially nostalgic about it. I just like saw it and I was like, I always found that kind of fascinating. Well, it's amazing how deep they go. Their whole house is really cool. Yeah. Like when he's talking to Aunt Beru and she's like down in the gully there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. That's actually a really cool scene. Uh, I don't know if, I think it's that one. I didn't notice it this time I was watching it, but there's a, there's um, like a sound guy or someone on set who's in this, who's in the shot. Yeah, uh, he's hiding in one of the the window frames or one of like the holes in the side of the cave. Right, uh, and you can very clearly see him if you're looking for him. Uh, okay, obscure trivia. We each have prepared uh, a really difficult trivia question for the other about some obscure thing that occurred in this first twenty. We're gonna try and stump the other. Would you yeah. like to go first? No, I'd like you to go first. And I'd like to ask you a question first. I'd like you to ask me. Okay. What is the name of the serpent creature whose skeleton is seen in the Tatooine desert? Oh. I mean, it's not said in the first 20. But there is, there is some, some lore about this, this giant, like, dragon-like skeleton that they kind of walk past when they're... Oh, shit. I must have, like, not been looking at the screen. Have you not seen this dragon skeleton before? I, it's something that it's eluding me. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so there's this whole story. It's what's called a crate dragon. Okay. Uh, and Count Dugu had a pet one, a pet crate dragon. Okay. Which is really cool. Um, they had it uh, built and put there in the desert when they were shooting in Tunisia. And then because it was too heavy to disassemble. I remember this, yes. They left it there. And it's still there. And when they came back to shoot the fan- Phantom Menace, it was still there. Yeah, that is super cool. Yeah. No, that is definitely a cool story. I think so. Okay, hit me. All right. So, where does 3PO say they'll be sent if they're caught on the Death Star? The Spice Mines of Kessel. Well done, my friend. Yeah, he does say that. And yeah. I, I, it's the first time I've ever noticed that line before. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Spice Mines of Kessel and the whole trading of spice is something that's not really explored in Star Wars yeah. unless the clo- unless you've seen the Clone Wars. Okay. And you get a really great backstory on the whole trading of spice in the galaxy far, <laughs> far away. It's really quite interesting. No, so that adds a lot of context to uh, like the Spice Mines of Kessel and things like that. See, I didn't even really know that Kessel was a planet. Obviously, the Kessel Run is this like fabled event, mm. but... Uh, the Spice Mines of Kessel, it stood out to me because I was like, oh, so this is actually a thing. Yeah, Kessel's going to be one of the three or four planets in Solo. Well, sure. Yeah. That, so, make, that makes plenty of sense. But it's interesting because that famous quote from Han Solo about the Kessel run is in the same movie. Yep. So why have I never connected that Kessel is actually also mentioned elsewhere in this film? I don't know. It stands out. Yeah. I'm bummed that you got it and I didn't, though. <laughs> I'm not going to have that happen much. All right. Fair enough. Hey, I think we did pretty good for this first one. I definitely agree with that. Anything else you want to add? Um, I don't think I have anything else, but I think the next 20 is going to be pretty strong. Yeah, I would definitely say that the the, the 20 to 40 minute mark in A New Hope has has a few interesting parts. (laughs) I'm going to say that there's probably going to be a lightsaber activation in there. Ah, fast. What a brilliant uh, prediction. I know. Uh, It's just off the top of my head. I think (laughs) we're going to see the creation of the best weapon of all time. How do we end this show? I guess we don't know yet. I have no idea. Maybe we just do a lightsaber, like... That seems too easy. Yeah, it seems way too easy. It seems, like, really obvious. Well, um, uh, I will say this. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Recorder66. Very simple little handle you can remember. If you want to tweet us your thoughts, uh, please try and keep them pleasant. Try and be nice. Tweet us your thoughts about the show. If you have any little corrections you want to make in a pleasant way, <laughs> at Recorder66 on Twitter. Uh definitely uh favorite us uh subscribe and share on itunes give us a star rating that's how we uh get moved into uh trending categories and stuff on on itunes and it helps us get more listeners uh and we'll be back week by week with more star wars talk may the force be with you and also with you (laughs) amen